you have a Bible, I invite you to open it up uh, to the New Testament book of Galatians as we continue our journey through this book. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one in the rack in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, by all means, take that and and make it yours. Uh, We'd love for you to have that and read it. Last time in our journey through Galatians, we, we looked at a truth that is at the very heart of our main message, our big message, the, the gospel, the um, good news of Jesus Christ. And the truth that we looked at is called justification which sounds kind of academic maybe, maybe sounds a little removed from real life, but it is actually extremely practical and extremely important. And because justification, this is what it's talking about. It's talking about how God takes people who are not right with him and makes them right with him. It's how God takes people who are unrighteous and makes them righteous. It is really one of the most crucial truths we could ever understand. And we explored two facts about justification last time. The first one is that that being right with God, being justified by God, is a gift, a free gift. It's a gift that you receive. It is not something that you can achieve by your own efforts, by praying, by going to church, by doing good things, by keeping all the rules, keeping God's law. You can't achieve being right with God. You can only receive it as a gift. That's one truth. The other truth we looked at is uh, this, that when God makes you right with him, that that's a gift that then begins, it's the beginning of a new life. It begins to change you, being justified by God. Um, so the beginning of a new life, and I said last time that we would, we would be unpacking that truth more and more as we went on, and so today we are going to begin doing that. I'm going to begin thinking more and more about what this new life in Christ is. What is it really? And what does it look like? How does it work? So we want to look today uh, in Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up at verse 19. So follow along as I read. This is the word of God through the Apostle Paul. He says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, please notice 
the justification, God making people who are not right with him right with him, that's still the topic. That's still what Paul's talking about here. And I want you to notice what the goal of justification is. You see it in verse 19. The goal is to live to God. You see that? Live to God. The point of being a Christian is living life in relationship to God. That's the point of justification. It results in a new life, being alive to God, living to God. It's not just getting a new set of beliefs. So we never want to reduce the gospel. We never want to reduce the good news of Jesus down simply to a statement that we agree with, a statement of faith, a a doctrinal statement. Okay, believing in Jesus is not meant just to change how we think. It's meant to change how we live. And it's actually a radical change. And we can see that it's radical here because of the language Paul uses. Look what he says. He says, I died to the law. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. So, being alive to God involves some kind of a death. There's a death involved. That's pretty radical language. And then he says, the life I now live. Okay, so now there's a a new life. There's a different life. It's It's a now life as opposed to the then life. And so, there's this different life. So, died new life, and let's be honest, this can be very confusing to us, can't it? Because maybe becoming a Christian didn't feel all that dramatic for you. If you've come to that place, you put your faith in Christ, maybe you were a kid, maybe you were pretty young, and it didn't feel dramatic like dying and coming to life again. Uh, Or maybe you came to Christ later in life, and and it And you would say, well, yeah, you know, my life has changed in some ways, but, you know, in other ways, kind of feels like the same me. So, if you have put your faith in Christ, if you have been justified by God, in what sense did you die? And in what sense is the life you now live different? Okay, that's what I want to think about with you this morning. So I want to deal with three questions about this new life in Christ that begins when God justifies us through faith in Jesus. Okay, first question, what's dead? What's, oh, I mean, what died? Look around. You all look alive to me. So what died? I mean, Paul's still alive. He's writing a letter when he wrote this. So what's, what's dead, Okay. First thing, what's dead is the old self. The old self is dead. What does that mean? Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Okay, the old self, that's your old identity. Who you were in God's eyes 
before he justified you. So the old self, that's a person, that was a person created by God, but in rebellion against him, separated from him, living life independently of him, disconnected from God. Here's one way the Bible describes this old self. Look at Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you, you at that time before you came to know Jesus, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That means you were outside of the community of God's people. You were, you were not part of God's people. You were outsider. And you were strangers to the covenants of promise, which means that all that God's promises made to his people did not apply to you. You had no part in those. Having no hope, and here's the climax of it all, without God in the world. Okay, so that's my old identity. A rebellious outsider living life without God, apart from God. And that identity is now dead. It no longer applies. It's no longer valid. It's kind of like an expired driver's license or an expired passport. It's no longer valid to identify me. My old identity is dead. Okay? The other thing that's dead would be the old way. Not just the old self, but the old way. The old way of life, the old way of pursuing life. Paul says, through the law, I died to the law. The law is dead to me now. What's he talking about? Okay, everybody lives life in pursuit of meaning and significance and, and a sense of worth And for Paul, as an Orthodox Jew, his way of living to gain meaning, to gain significance, to gain worth, his way of living was law-keeping. That is, keeping all of the, the regulations and the rituals of the Torah, the law of Moses, in order to gain God's approval. To him, that's what made life worth living. That's what made life meaningful. That's what gave him significance and worth keeping the rules that God had given so he could have God's approval. Gaining God's approval by his own efforts. Now, few of us have ever tried that, you know, law-keeping in the sense that Paul did, uh, you know, to gain our meaning and purpose in life. However, even if we haven't done that, we are all naturally just as preoccupied with our own performance as a way of gaining significance and meaning and worth and fulfillment. Now, we might use a very different standard. You know, we're not preoccupied with keeping the regulations of the Torah, but everybody's got a standard. You know, I just need to be true to myself, whatever that means. Or maybe it's success, Success in school, success at work, or maybe it's just being a good person. That's my standard. 
Whatever the standard is, the standard might be very different, but at the root of it, the dynamic is the same. It's trying to gain approval, significance, meaning whether it's God's approval, whether it's the approval of others, the admiration of others, or some other sense of significance or worth, pursuing that by our own performance, by our own achievement. So that's, that's the old, the old self pursuing self-vindication, self-glory, self-fulfillment. That's what comes naturally to us. And when we come to Jesus, that's what dies. When God makes me right with him through faith in Jesus, he nullifies my old identity, takes the passport and tears it up. It's gone. It doesn't count anymore. And the old way of living, the old way of pursuing life, that's, it's useless. It's done. It's gone. So if you belong to Jesus today, if you put your faith in him to justify you before God, your old identity, your old way of living no longer defines who you are. Okay, so that's what's dead. What's alive? Well, as you might expect, it's the opposite of that. So what's alive is the new self. There's a new identity. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, read this carefully. Notice he's saying, there's still a me here. Christ lives in me. It's a new identity. What's new, okay? What's new is that my identity is no longer based on who I am by myself. My new identity is based on who I am in connection with Jesus. Union with him. So the new me is Christ in me. He shares his life. There's still a me, but it's me always in union with Jesus. That's where my identity comes from. That's how my identity is reckoned. Me in union with Christ. And that that gives me an identity. It's... It's almost too glorious to express with words. It's just unbelievable. Ephesians 2.13. So we saw 2.12, you know, separated, alien, outsider. Now look. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, far away from God, have been brought near. Look at it again. Now in Christ Jesus, in union. Okay, you didn't move close to God. You didn't move yourself near to God. You got joined to Jesus, and Jesus brought you near. By the blood of Christ, by his death. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. That identity doesn't apply anymore. You are fellow citizens with the saints, with God's people. And you are members of God's household part of God's family now that's a radical change of identity and you got to get this okay you've got to get this this is true whether you feel it or not 
This is true whether you feel it or not. Now, I've used this illustration before, but I think it's helpful, so I'm going to use it again. Many of you know I was adopted at birth long before I could possibly understand what was happening to me. But my identity was completely changed. I went from being the child of one couple to being the child of another couple. I got a new name. I got a new address. I got a new future. Did I feel it? I don't know. Pretty sure I didn't. If I did, I don't remember anything about it. But you know what? That doesn't matter. That's completely irrelevant. My change in identity did not depend on me feeling it. My feelings were irrelevant. And if you belong to Jesus by faith, if you've put your confidence in Christ to justify you before God, to give you this free gift of being right with Him, then your old self, your old identity has died and your new self has come into being and it's real. When God justified you and made you His child, that happened whether you feel it or not. Now, would it be good to feel it? Yes. Okay? And your feelings will change more and more as you discover, as you believe, as you understand and live out this new identity Jesus has given you. But it's real. It's real. Just as soon as you are united to Him by faith. This would be a great place for me to plug the heart change workshops that we host periodically because the heart change workshops are basically four intense days of exploring and understanding and believing and experiencing in very tangible ways this new identity that God gives us in Jesus. So I recommend it. Now, not only are you alive with a new identity, you are now alive to a new way of living, a new way. Paul says, look at it, the life I now live in the flesh, I live, how? By faith in the Son of God. So here's the difference. We move from a performance-based life to a faith-based life. Instead of basing life on my performance, my achievement, my accomplishments to make me fulfilled and right with God and my meaning and my purpose and all that, now that comes through faith in Jesus. Now, be sure you understand this. It doesn't mean we don't do things. It doesn't mean we don't do things. We have to do things if we're followers of Jesus. Jesus commands us to do things, all kinds of things. Okay? But what it means is we, we have to learn to do them differently. How? Okay? Instead of finding my meaning, my significance, my purpose in what I accomplish and, and how well I accomplish things and how well I do things, now I find my meaning and significance and worth in Jesus, in being united to Him, and what He enables me to do for His glory because I trust Him. All right, Romans 15, 18, Paul says, I will not venture to speak of anything 
except what Christ has accomplished through me. Living by faith in the Son of God. Now, this then is the principle that we are going to be exploring as we go on. What, what this actually means, what it looks like to live by faith in Jesus. Or as it says, we're going to see this when we get to chapter 5, to walk by His Spirit. What does that actually look like? What does that actually involve? Okay, before we do that, and we're not going to do it today, I want to deal with one more question about this new life. (laughs) And the question is, how can you really live this way? How can you really live this way? By faith in the Son of God. Okay, sounds good, doesn't it? Oh yeah, stop living a performance-based life, live life faith in the Son of God. It sounds good. Sounds right. How do you do that? And I'm not talking here about the details. I'm not talking about the specifics. I'm talking about just what change has to happen in me, in my thinking, in my whatever, so that I don't live the old way and I live the new way. How do I do that? You know, I mean, my whole life was living performance-based. Now I'm living a different... How? What is... You know, especially if you're a slow learner. Any slow learners here? <laughs> what do you need to do differently? What's, what's got to, you know, what switch has to be flipped to live this way instead of that way? Here's the answer. Learn to trust his heart more than you trust your head. Learn to trust his heart more than your head. Verse 20, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those are crucial words. Faith means trusting the Son of God and the reason I can trust him is because he loved me and gave himself for me. I need to trust his heart toward me more than I trust my head to figure everything out. Now, actually, it's trusting both his heart and his head, that is, both his love and his wisdom. But it's his heart that gets the emphasis here. So, see, it's not just, you know, if I asked you a question, do you think Jesus knows what's best for you? Do you think Jesus knows what's best for you? You know, most of us would go, yeah, yeah, I know that. Okay, but it's not just that. It's believing that he actually wants what's best for you. And that he is deeply at the core of his being, committed to bringing about what is best for you. That's what you've got to be convinced of. I've got to believe that, that he is committed to my best interest from his heart, no matter what things look like, no matter what I'm going through, and no matter how much my head argues with it. It's the same truth we see in Proverbs 3, 5, okay? 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Now, when it says don't lean on your own understanding, that does not mean don't think. Don't use your head. Okay? God gave you a brain for a reason. He expects you to use it. In fact, much of the Bible is all about instructing us so that we know truth and can make good decisions based on truth. Like That's exactly what we're doing right now. So this is, not a, this is not saying don't think. What it means is don't rely, don't lean on your wisdom when it contradicts his wisdom. That's what it means. So I look at what Jesus says, and I think, I don't know about this. I'm not sure that's how I can really be happy and fulfilled. I think maybe I've got a better way. See, that's, well, it's stupid. (laughs) But it's worse than stupid. It's actually a form of unbelief. It means I'm refusing to believe that Jesus really loves me. Because if he really loved me, If I know he really loves me, then I know, okay, even if I don't get this, even if I can't figure it out, his way is in my best interest. So you got to be convinced that he actually loves you. Okay, how do you do that? How do you be convinced? How do you get more convinced? You have to repeatedly tell yourself. You have to repeatedly tell one another. You got to tell me, I got to tell you, we got to tell each other, we got to tell ourselves the truth about his love. You got to know the truth, you got to remind yourself of the truth of his love. What's his love really like? Now, I see three characteristics of his love here. I'm just going to go through them fairly quickly. There's more, there's obviously more to his love, but these are crucial to grasp. Number one, you got to believe that he doesn't just love everybody, he actually loves you personally. See, it's one thing (laughs) to believe that Jesus loves everybody. He loves the whole world. All right, yeah, I believe that. It's a very different thing to believe he actually loves you. You, you the person. You the messed up person. You, the person with all your flaws, with all your failures, with all your junk. You, the individual. Jesus loves you. Look what Paul says. He says, I uh, live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Now, he could have said, who loved us, and that would be true. But that's not what he's saying. He loved me. It's personal for Paul. You know what? When Paul discovered that Jesus actually loved him he never got over it he never got over it it just constantly amazed him that jesus loved him and he loves you now i want to say a word to the men when the bible says that jesus loves you don't think romantic love okay Because you're going to really struggle with this. A lot of guys struggle with this. You know, the thought of Jesus loving them and they need to love him. 
We need to love him. Because all you can think about is boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, and that's weird. You know, you think you're being called to, you know, embrace Jesus as your, your biggest boyfriend. That's not it. Don't think that. Think band of brothers kind of love. Think of a soldier who would take a bullet for his brothers in arms. Or think of the the love of a father for his son. There is nothing effeminate. This is a strong love. This is a masculine love. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And you, my man, are his friend if you have received his gift of life. Don't ever be ashamed that Jesus loves you. Don't ever be ashamed to respond to him in love. There's nothing girly about this. Yeah, it's for girls too. Okay. But girls can kind of get this without it being weird. (laughs) Men, don't be ashamed to be loved by Jesus because it's a strong, powerful love. So he doesn't love just everybody. He loves you personally too. He doesn't just love with words. He loves with actions. Okay, and this follows up on what I just said. You know, you might wonder, well, Paul says the Son of God who loved me. Why does he say that instead of who loves me? Because that would also be true. Because he's talking about something Jesus did. He's talking about Jesus going to the cross. That's how he loved me. That's how he loved you. That's how he demonstrated his love. By giving himself for us. By going to the cross. Jesus is not waiting for you to make the first move. He already made it. And that brings up the third thing. He doesn't just love you when you're lovable. He loves you when you're not. Romans 5, 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loves you at your very best. And he loves you at your absolute worst. And those are the times when you're going to find it very hard to believe but you need to believe it. The Son of God gave himself over to the most humiliating, painful death possible because it was the only way to save you. And he did it because he loves you. Now here's the point of all this. If he did that, to bring about what's best for you, He's not going to hesitate to do anything less. He already did the hardest thing. Everything else is, for him, simple by comparison. Romans 8.31, here's the logic. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody. 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things, all things that you need for your eternal joy, Jesus will give you. For your eternal welfare, for your eternal bliss, for your eternal satisfaction, for your eternal... Plug in your own word awesomeness he will give you which means and he'll do it because he really loves you and that means that you can trust him day by day living by faith in the son of god day by day okay believing what he said doing what he said obeying his commands following his lead asking him for his help because he is always pursuing what is in your best interest. And you look at your life and say, I don't see it. Trust his heart more than you trust your head.